Isaiah, in his book, not only speaks of Jerusalem's downfall, but also its redemption. He speaks of Cyrus, who will allow the return to Jerusalem to build the Second Temple. And he speaks of miracles in the future which did not even happen during the Second Temple period. And as we go further through this book, we will find prophecies that not only came to be, but which some of you, upon visiting the Holy Land, might have experienced. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 121, Who is Isaiah? I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. The late great archaeologist Elat Mazar spent years excavating the Ophel, the area south of the Temple Mount, first built up by Solomon. It was there that she discovered the bula, the seal, of King Hezekiah, an incredible find. But it was only after this that she discovered an object that is possibly even more exciting, a seal that may bear the name of the prophet who has given us more haftarot, more prophetic portions in synagogue than any other, whose words anchor our notion of tragedy and redemption more than any other. The middle line on the seal reads Yeshaya, Isaiah. On the bottom line, one can make out the letters Nun Bet Yud, Navi. The bottom left part of the seal is missing. Navi spelled with these three letters alone could be some sort of last name, but the missing part of the seal, Mazar realized, may very well have borne an Aleph, which would make the last word Nun Bet Yud Aleph, prophet, Isaiah the prophet. As Mazar wrote, quote, Finding a seal impression of the prophet Isaiah next to that of King Hezekiah should not be unexpected. It would not be the first time that seal impressions of two biblical personas mentioned in the same verse in the Bible were found in an archaeological context. In our City of David excavations, the seal impressions of Yehukal ben Shalamya ben Shovi and Gedaliahu ben Pashur, high officials in King Zedekiah's court, were found only a few feet apart. Furthermore, according to the Bible, the names of King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah are mentioned in one breath 14 of the 29 times the name of Isaiah is recalled. No other figure was closer to King Hezekiah than the prophet Isaiah. End quote. To ponder the possible seal of Isaiah is to be drawn to his visions, to the book to which we now turn, to his descriptions of what was and what is yet to be. Isaiah, son of Amotz, lived during the rise of Assyria and its assault on Jerusalem. According to the Talmud, he was himself a relative of the Davidic family. Even as Isaiah warns of a possible Syrian destruction, Isaiah is aware that a miracle can take place that will not only save Jerusalem, but also could potentially turn all the world to God and usher in an age of peace. When Jerusalem is saved from Assyria, and the Messianic age does not dawn due to the unworthiness of Israel, Isaiah then warns that ultimately Babylonia would destroy the temple. Having foretold Jerusalem's ruin, Isaiah directs his gaze 150 years in the future to the Jews who, as we have described, were taken captive to Babylonia by Nebuchadnezzar. The last 26 chapters of Isaiah's book are messages meant for those Jews in Babylon who would live many years after Isaiah had already passed away. The prophet speaks of Cyrus, who will allow the exiles to return, and then he describes how this return can become a miraculous era of ingathering and redemption. Because the Babylonian exile occurred many decades after Isaiah's death, some modern scholars believe that they were written by someone else. I reject this and believe that there is only one Isaiah who wrote everything in the book of Isaiah. The Bible contains many revelations of events centuries before they occur. It is true, of course, that, as the 20th century's greatest theologian Yogi Berra reminded us, 
it is difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. But making predictions about the future is the prophet's job. And as we shall later see in our study of this biblical book, many of Isaiah's predictions have come true in our own age, millennia after they were first pronounced. All this we will discover in the next several weeks. But for now we turn to Isaiah's opening and what is, for traditional Jews, one of the most famous of biblical passages. Verse 1. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amotz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, in the days of Uziah, Yotam, Ahaz, and Chizkiyahu, kings of Yehuda. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. We are thus immediately informed that the prophet's proclamations span several generations through the reigns of several Davidic kings. This list includes an incredibly righteous ruler, Hezekiah, as well as his wicked father, Ahaz. And because the prophecies of Isaiah are not given to us in chronological order, it is not clear to which time period this first prophecy is addressed. The prophet speaks about a destruction that has descended. Verse 7, Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. Isaiah then speaks of Jerusalem under siege. Verse 8, And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. This seems to indicate that Isaiah's prophecy here is spoken at the moment when Assyria has descended upon the southern kingdom of Judah during the reign of Hezekiah, perhaps after the destruction of Lachish, but before the salvation of Jerusalem. We know, of course, that Hezekiah was a great king, and one of the few to refocus the people of Israel on serving God in the temple. But, as Rabbi Yigal Ariel argues, as well as Amos Chacham in his Dat Mikra commentary, the message of Isaiah here is that despite the enormous spiritual achievements of Hezekiah, nevertheless, the ethical standing of the ministers of his court and the elite of Jerusalem are still enormously lacking. Much of the focus of the prophet's criticism is on the external expressions of ritual piety that take place in the temple without the required internal, moral, and spiritual transformation that is meant to accompany it and further make itself manifest after the worshiper has left the temple. The point is not that the rituals of the temple are unimportant. The great achievement of Hezekiah's age was the reestablishment of the primacy of worship in Jerusalem. Rather, Isaiah's point is that the religious rituals will be devoid of meaning if they do not continue to impact bringer of the temple offerings after that person has gone back to his or her home. It must be reflected in one's larger life and in one's relationships with others. That, Isaiah proclaims, is utterly missing in Judea. Thus, verse 15, And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. This chapter, chapter 1 of Isaiah, is famous because for centuries the reading of this passage has taken place in synagogues on the Sabbath preceding the ninth of Av when we mark the destruction of both temples in Jerusalem. Sabbath is known by the first word of the book of Isaiah, Shabbat Chazon, the Sabbath of Isaiah's vision. And while Isaiah's words were perhaps specifically speaking of the assault of Assyria, 
not of Babylon or Rome. At the same time, the opening sentences of this book can also be taken to be of enormous relevance to other later periods. For example, the end of the age of the Second Temple was also one of ethical failure, when the temple was treasured but hatred of Jew for Jew festered within the walls of Jerusalem. We have seen how David's vision of the temple was founded on a dream of forging a bond of brotherhood within Israel. And for Jews to deserve the temple in Jerusalem, this bond must be embraced. It is to this link of love, of covenantal dedication, to which Isaiah calls his people. Verse 21. How is the faithful city become a harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Thy silver has become dross, thy wine mixed with water. Thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. The beginning of these verses that I just cited, how can it be, or in Hebrew, echa, how is it that Jerusalem has become so unfaithful? This is the same word that begins the book of Lamentations, read on Tisha B'Av, the Jewish day of mourning, thus connecting Isaiah's words to the later writings of Jeremiah. And it was on the Sabbath of Chazon, the Shabbat before the ninth of Av, that Rabbi Norman Lamb noted a rabbinic text which pointed out the similarity between the word Echa, how can it be, and Ayeka, where are you? These words are spelled the same way and without vowels appear to be the same word. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam flees following his sin, God calls out, Ayeka, where are you? Essentially saying, how can you think that you can hide from me? Later, facing the sins of Israel and the destruction wreaked upon it, both Isaiah in his opening prophecy and Jeremiah in Lamentations plaintively, painfully ask, Echa, how has this come to pass? The etymological association between Echa and Ayeka, Rabbi Lamb argued, instructs us that the destruction of the temple resulted from a mistake similar to that of Adam. Israel in certain ages devotedly prayed to God in his house in Jerusalem, but they acted as if they could hide from God in other aspects of their lives, that they could gerrymander Judaism out of certain spheres of human existence. Rabbi Lamb said, quote, For indeed the Churban Habayat, the destruction of the temple, recapitulates the tragedy of man in the face of God. Adam, having eaten of the tree of knowledge and supposedly grown more sophisticated, now flees to the cluster of trees in the midst of the garden and attempts to hide from God. His illegitimate grasp for knowledge has gained for him the idiotic illusion that he can set boundaries for God, keeping him away from his own areas, and that he can erect impenetrable barriers between the domains of God and man. End quote. This is interesting enough, but then Rabbi Lamb added that the failing embodied by Ayeka, where are you, Adam, is a sin not only of the first man, but of modern man, who has also partaken in the tree of knowledge. Rabbi Lamb, who studied chemistry in college and deeply valued the sciences, said the following in his sermon, quote, We have developed science and technology at an incredible pace, yet we have become what in Jewish literature is known as chacham lahareya, wise for our own hurt. Our genius has proved an evil genius. With our increase in knowledge has come a shrinkage of wisdom. With the conquest of the universe, we have discovered that we have let our own lives lie fallow. Learning to make a living, we have forgotten how to live. Exploring outer space, we have ignored the thunderous silence of our inner space and inner void. And then Rabbi Lamb added, God appears in all his awesome might and poses his devastating question, Ayeka. Where art thou that thou thinkest to exclude me? 
And when that happens, man can but answer from the shambles of his supermodern paradise playground. Echa. End quote. The prophet Isaiah's words are spoken to a specific time and place, but have enduring impact and application. And in many synagogues, when the words are declaimed on the Sabbath preceding Judaism's saddest day, the words are read mournfully, unique for the Sabbath, when usually any sign of sadness is forbidden. But then, on that very same Sabbath as the Haftarah, the prophetic reading comes to a close. The tempo and tune suddenly switch, as the words of Isaiah's promise of repentance, purification, and redemption are read. Enjoy. Verse 24. Therefore saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Mighty One of Israel, Ah, I will ease me of mine adversaries and avenge me of mine enemies, and I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy tin, and I will restore thy judges as at the first, and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. The book of Isaiah contains terrifying visions, but also paints a picture of hope. In an interview about the bulla, the discovered seal, a member of Mazar's team noted that the borderline is missing from the left side of the object. It is incomplete, apparently leaving room for more letters, enough to spell out Yeshaya's full name, Yeshayahu, and the full word Navi, prophet. Most of the time, said this member of Mazar's team, a border is found. The fact that space was left here leaves us with the implication that there were other letters that were once on the seal, which proclaimed that this was indeed the seal of Isaiah the prophet. Let us ponder the sublime symbolism of this statement and this discovery. Isaiah, in his book, not only speaks of Jerusalem's downfall, but also its redemption. He speaks of Cyrus, who will allow the return to Jerusalem to build the second temple. And he speaks of miracles in the future which did not even happen during the second temple period that one day Jerusalem would expand far beyond its walls, that the Judean desert would bloom, that the Jews would be gathered in from around the world, that wonders such as this would inspire those beyond Judaism itself. Suddenly, in our own time, many of these predictions did indeed come true. And as we go further through this book, we will find prophecies that not only came to be, but which some of you, upon visiting the Holy Land, might have experienced. Of course, there are many prophecies in Isaiah that have yet to be fulfilled. The prophet's description of world peace, which we shall discuss tomorrow, is certainly not here yet. Neither is his vision of a temple crowning Jerusalem, a house of prayer for all nations. For an archaeologist to find in a Jerusalem to which Jews have returned, a seal that says Isaiah, but an incomplete seal, a seal where the word Navi can perhaps be read, but which still has letters that need to be filled in, This has a resplendent resonance. It signifies, perhaps, how Isaiah has prophecies that have been fulfilled in our time, but also that there are prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. And thus the wonder of what may well be Isaiah's seal inspires us in the weeks ahead to engage his holy words and to look forward to many more wonders still to come. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Wishing you a luminous Chanukah, signing off.